0: So this happened a couple of weeks ago, but did you hear about did you hear about this woman in Florida? I get Florida man as the meme, but this was a Florida woman. Uh, she she was rescued from a storm drain in Florida, and she says that she was there for three weeks in, <laughs> in these tunnels There's under under the city in the sewer. And she survived on a can of ginger ale. And she was discovered by another Florida woman who heard her scream. Who <laughs> was also while, trapped down there <laughs> while driving by the drain. So this woman was pulled out of uh, of a storm drain. She was eight feet down at the bottom of the drain. She was completely nude, mm-hmm. as you are when you're in the yeah. sewer, you know, forging uh, for rings and coins. She obviously retreated to the sewer, nude, to forge for rings and coins, and she was rescued. I I I just want to your thoughts on this story.
1: Well, so number one, I guarantee you that she has no concept of time. And I guarantee you it was three hours and not three weeks. I don't know how you could survive on a can of ginger ale for three weeks in a sewer without, I, I just, I, I, I deny I deny her story. I think she's not a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a reliable, a reliable narrator?
0: A reliable narrator. Yes, yeah. that's, that's the phrase that you're looking for. But let me add this she actually was reported missing three weeks earlier by her boyfriend in Palm beach County. So well, slam dunk then. What was she doing in that coil for three weeks? I mean, (laughs) if she was down there, do you think she found maybe the portal to Narnia or, or something like that? I don't, I don't know. I I just, she definitely was like biding her time down there and plotting how she was going
1: to even request help. Like, yeah, I, I can't believe no one heard her for three weeks.
0: Well, I feel like after, I did not see it, but did you see it? No. I feel like, I feel like it, yeah, I, I did not see it, but I feel like, you know, the the clown in the sewer meme. Like, you know, if you just come up to the edge of a storm drain and you're like, hey, <laughs> hey, get me out of here. Like, I, I, I'd piece the fuck out of there. I, I don't think that I would call for help. I would just run away.
1: You mean if you heard a woman's voice screaming, help, I'm trapped in the sewer, you'd be like, oh, oh sketch."
0: No, I'm saying if I saw her in the sewer, (laughs) I would run away. I'm I'm saying that would be very off putting to me. I would think that it was, you know, some kind of some kind of trick. It
1: would be absolutely terrifying if she was down there and not requesting for help. I would have nightmares about that for the rest of my life.
0: Welcome in to it's always sunny in chief's kingdom brought to you by sports illustrated zero head report, si.com slash NFL slash chiefs find them on Twitter at SI chiefs. I'm Austin. You can find me on Twitter at real bird lawyer here with me as always. And for a very special episode that we're both very jazzed about my man, Taylor, you can find him on Twitter at Taylor underscore wet Taylor. What's going on?
1: I'm going to have nightmares about a woman in the sewers staring at me and not asking for my help forever.
0: (laughs) As you should. So, uh, before we get into the agenda for this week's episode, why don't you give us an update on this ongoing t-shirt contest?
1: Yeah, we've got um, eight days left. I said that we would end the contest on April 30th, and the rules are simple. You need to get eyes on our podcast. You can tweet about it. You can put you know, other social media postings, whatever you're trying to do. Um, just shoot me a DM on Twitter and let me know that you've told the people about us, and I will get you entered in. The DMs have been popping. We've got some funny, funny tweets, funny you know Facebook mentions and stuff like that. And uh, I'm really excited to give away some of our shirts. And we've also had I've had quite a number of people reach out and just say, "Forget about the contest. I'm just going to go ahead and buy a shirt now," which is very fun and encouraging. So um, you know we're we're getting our merch out into the people's hands. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, the people love the merch. They're wearing it. They're tweeting about it. They're facebooking about it. They're Instagramming about it. It's everywhere, and uh, we love you guys for putting it out there. It's a clean shirt, so if you want one, shoot Taylor a DM. We've got a great show today. We're going to start with the news, like we always do. There's a little bit of news. The main item of news, which gets its own bullet point and its own discussion, is uh, happy trails to a very special, prominent chief, Alex Smith, Decided to hang up his cleats this week, so we're going to talk about that separately from all the rest of the news that happened. And then at the end, we have a segment of my own devising, which I'm very excited about, and I know you are too. We we talked about this off the air after we canned the last episode last week, and we weren't going to tease it because we weren't sure if we were, you know, sometimes we flake out and we don't follow through on stuff. We followed through on this one big time. We're going to do a draft, and we're going to be drafting just berserk football things right like just the weirdest craziest stats people things that have happened in the sport of football 10 of them we're going to draft them and I just I can't wait I can't wait it's going to be incredible
1: yeah our list is is going to be long we haven't discussed with each other what you know what's happening yet so it's going to be a, a great
0: great time it's going to be crazy but before we do that Taylor let's get into the news 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 so I guess number one on the list this week, football is back. The Chiefs have begun their offseason program, unlike some of those teams that wussed out because, as we talked about last week, they don't care about winning. They don't care about football, and they don't want to do what their coaches say. The Chiefs are back in the building. They're back.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it just kind of puts a, a pep in my step to know that the Chiefs are moving forward with their their off season plans and there's another day off the calendar until the chiefs come back to back into our lives. I just, I love it every day.
0: Yeah. And not to beat a dead horse. We talked about this last week and I think probably the week before as well, but I think 20 total teams ended up in some form or fashion, their players saying like, well, we're not going to come to the facility yet because we don't want to. And the chiefs now are in the minority of teams that actually has butts in seats. Players are in the building. They're working with their coaches. Uh, We heard this week in a press conference that at least Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have received their vaccines, so they are safe from COVID-19, or at least as safe as anybody can be. They're back in the building. They're getting started, and it is exciting. We're going to certainly hear uh, more news out of the Chiefs building next week when we have the draft. And I guess this is a good opportunity to plug our draft show. I should have done that in the intro, but I'm just going to do it right now. For those of you that did not join us last year, next week is going to be a special draft podcast. We're going to do it during the first round of the draft. We'll we'll go through pick by pick and we'll actually give you our live reaction to the last, uh, I don't know, six, seven, eight picks. Uh, We'll we'll do those live. So stay tuned for that. But uh, in the meantime, Taylor, there was a a press conference, as I alluded to Andy and Pat, both telling the media that they're vaccinated. Any other highlights that you uh, that you heard that you want to you want to jump into?
1: Um, Not really. I really think that Andy and Pat are very good about the like cookie cutter, no news press conference by this point. And uh, I just I kind of go into like a like a hard eyes emoji trance whenever I'm watching either of them speak. That's and fair. I'm not entirely sure what all was covered other than I watched it and I was happy.
0: Well, let me tell you some of the things that were covered and we can discuss them. So uh, one thing that stuck out a little bit, got a little bit of buzz on the Twitter. Andy Reid was asked specifically by Herbie Tiope about uh, Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher, who yeah. obviously are the Chiefs to tackles both cut earlier in this offseason to save some cap money andy Reid was specifically asked about the possibility of either of those players returning and as you said i mean andy is the master of saying nothing in a press conference but he did as you probably would expect said that the door always remains open was the words that he used on the possibility of their return so what do you think i you think either of these guys are coming back
1: Well, I think Mitch has a bigger chance than Fish uh, based on the timeline of his injury and just kind of the, you know, the height of Mitchell Schwartz was higher than the height of Eric Fisher. And I do think that Andy's probably saying exactly what he has to there. He would benefit in no way from saying that they're not coming back. That would not do anyone any good from Mitch and fish to the team. So, you know, he was always going to say that the door is wide open for them. Um, And it all depends on their recovery and what their other suitors are like um, around the NFL. But I do think that the relationships that the chiefs coaching staff and, and GMs and all that form with the players is tight. It's a good relationship and guys want to play for these guys. So um, I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, Mitch has been doing videos um, still in his recovery in the offseason, and he put up a new room in his house and has Chiefs logos all over the room and stuff and is very um, supportive of, you know, he he just is always tweeting about the Chiefs like he's still on the team, even after right. the cut. Um, right. I, I do think that his heart and his, you know, playing career, if it's not back in Kansas City, I'm not sure I see him going anywhere else.
0: Yeah. He's the harder one to kind of predict because we don't really know concretely what his plans are. He hasn't said, I'm definitely retiring. There were some whispers, but I don't think ever really any defined sources that said, Hey, this is something that he's seriously considering. On the other hand, he hasn't said, you know, I'm definitely playing and he certainly has not taken any visits, at least not that we've heard about. He's definitely not out there looking actively for another team to play in. And it certainly feels like, as you said, that he he has deep roots to the community, whether he ends up continuing to play football here or not. He pretty clearly is invested in staying in Kansas city uh, with his family. And, you know, obviously they have a house here and they're, they're working on that. You know, he's getting a new kitchen, he's getting a new workout room, all that stuff. So depending on his health, certainly a guy that, that seems like he could be back. I actually think it's a little bit more likely even that Fisher is back. And I'll tell you why I don't think Fisher is going to play anywhere else. Now I think Fisher did come out and say, right after he was cut, like, I still want to play football. I still have football left in me. I want to contribute. I can still play. Yeah, And whether that takes a different course next year after he's a year removed from his injury is another matter. But I think if he's playing at all this season, I would be shocked if he plays for any team other than the chiefs. And here's why he, because of his injury timeline that you mentioned, he's not going to be on the field. I mean, I think the very optimistic timeline that we were given by Brett beach before he was cut, save cap was that he would be ready you know kind of by training camp which Mm -hmm. is in august and you know on the very optimistic side of things let's say he's able to go to training camp and participate in some limited capacity he's going to a new team he has to learn a new system he's an offensive lineman reps are really important which you always hear and, and heard last year during the COVID off season was, you know, it may not matter to a lot of guys, but reps are really important for offensive linemen. They have to work together. They have to build chemistry with one another to be successful. And his injury timeline, it's just not going to be possible for him to do that with an, a new team. Like he's not going to go into a new team and get the reps that he needs in training camp. And so, you know, even if he is healthy enough to play in say September, October, November for a new team, he just is not going to have had the reps in that system to be able to step in and contribute and I think, obviously, with the Chiefs, if if he can step in and contribute and there's a need at left tackle, which, <laughs> knock on wood, we hope that there's not going to be. But if there is, if there is, he certainly, when healthy, should be able to just step right in and, and contribute. And so, I don't know. We'll see, obviously, what happens as the, the summer progresses. I, obviously, neither of these guys would have been – you know, big participants at this stage of the offseason anyway, even if they were fully healthy, they're veteran guys. They don't need, you know, they they do need reps in somebody else's system if they were to change teams because they got to learn their teammates and the playbook and everything like that. They don't need reps in the system. They wouldn't be out there busting their butts in May and June anyway. So we'll see. Uh, Speaking of tackles, Andy also did mention uh, as possibilities for left tackle. (laughs) Lucas Niang, uh, Mike Remmers, Okay. Our starting right tackle. Yeah. And Kyle Long, Kyle Long was one of the names that he specifically mentioned as options to start at left tackle. Now, Taylor, this was interesting to me and my ears perked up when I heard this because Kyle Long, you may recall is a right guard by trade. And he played one season at right tackle Yep, and he's never played left tackle. And I don't think he's ever played left guard. So I, I don't know. That was, that was a really, unusual statement I mean even for somebody that says nothing in press conferences I was a little bit surprised to hear him go out on a limb and say yeah Kyle Long is in the mix to start at left tackle
1: yeah I agree um I think that Andy might be kind of hyping up the new guy so to speak I don't know if Kyle Long is seriously being considered but I think he's basically like you know he's an offensive lineman guy everybody knows that they all bond to him He played offensive line and stuff and and he might just be taking to kyle long in their interaction so far since the Chiefs signed him and he's like fuck yeah kyle long's awesome he could play left tackle he could do whatever sure. he wants out there like it could just be him kind of gassing him up a little bit so we'll see you know training camp reps and all that stuff how serious that comment really was
0: yeah and kyle long was awesome. I mean, he was obviously he's a great an, dude. Yeah. An all pro at right guard and then went in and, and made a pro bowl in his only season at right tackle. And certainly physically, you know, he's a big guy. And he came in off his year in retirement jacked. So yeah. and we'll how see. hard
1: could it be to switch from right tackle to left tackle?
0: Yeah, I agree with that. It's just a question of, he basically played one season at right tackle and mm-hmm. you know, that was 2015. Five years, yeah. yeah. Five years ago, six years ago. So uh, yeah, great. Great uh, great question. We'll see what happens there. Specifically on Lucas Niang, he said, and I quote, he looked like he had some potential for that, meaning left tackle, mm-hmm. when we had him last. It's been a year since we've had him in the building. He opted out pretty early. I mean, we're coming up on the draft. He, obviously, he was taken in the draft. I think he must have made it through. I don't remember exactly when he decided to opt out, but he must have made it through the virtual camp. I'm not sure what all they saw of him. After they drafted him, uh, before he opted out, but it does sound like at least he's been he's been working. One of his trainers did tweet today he's on his way back to Kansas City and that he's been working every day, no days off, etc. You know, your usual trainer hype. But um well,
1: and they thought so they highly got, of him. He was a third round pick. I mean, clearly sure. they scouted him before they drafted him and all that stuff. And I mean, I'm sure the team had he hasn't done anything to dampen their expectations you know I mean he he hasn't gone out there and played in the game and sucked so they probably still feel like they've got a pretty good asset in him and and I hope they're right
0: yeah all of this coach speak because that is ultimately what it is it's going to be really interesting to see what happens one week from tonight when the Chiefs are on the clock with a 31st overall pick we think unless they trade up or trade down Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what they really think about their left tackle spot. So uh, I see you added one in here. You want to take this next one? (laughs) Yeah, sure.
1: Uh, This segment I called what are the rules? What are the rules? rules?" And that's NFL, uh, the NFL passed some stuff today. And so they did. One of the things they passed was the chief's proposal on Jersey numbers. Did you see Tom Brady's reaction? Yeah, it was
0: ridiculous. Uh, So so, here's what he, here's what he said on Instagram.
1: Yeah, He said, he he posted a screen capture with the story <laughs> about the rules, and he included, why not let the linemen wear whatever they want to? Why have numbers? Just have colored jerseys. Why not wear the same number? Dumb, in all caps. He's He said, good luck trying to block the right people now. could to make for a lot of bad football. So, like, that's like as pissed as Brady's ever been about yeah. anything publicly.
0: Yeah, it was a ridiculous social media post, and usually his – his social media is pretty buttoned up, with yeah. the exception of a little exchange that he had with Patrick Mahomes this week. Uh-huh. Didn't make it into our news segment, for, but for those of you that missed it, Salvador Perez was joking around wearing a Brady jersey, uh, He said Patrick the Mahomes he was, lost a Super Bowl bet with Maverick, and he lost a bet. He had to wear the Brady jersey, but he said Patrick Mahomes is still the best. Mm-hmm. And Brady said, "Actions speak louder than words," alluding to the fact that he's, you know, wearing a Tom Brady jersey. Uh, Patrick Mahomes quote treated Tom Brady and said. Let's let's see in 20 years. So, you know, little little heat there. Yeah, I, I can't believe his reaction was that strong to it. And to be honest with you, I love it because yeah, if did. if Tom Brady's if Tom Brady's whole deal this this whole time, the 20 years or so, he's been <laughs> Has been that, like, I seriously think that maybe he like can't count above a certain number, Holy or like shit. maybe he's dyslexic or something. Like, he, this was such a strong reaction that I'm thinking he might have some real difficulty. This, with this
1: might story. ruin him.
0: Yeah, he's like, how am I supposed to know which guy's coming at me? Like, I don't know if now if he's 69 or if he's 91. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Man, it's uh, the down? Chiefs. The Chiefs proposed this rule supposedly yeah. because last year with their injury situations, they felt like they were going to run out of numbers with all the guys they had rotating in and out of the practice squad, And they did have a bigger practice squad last year because of COVID too. So conspiracy theory time.
1: Right. So the chiefs have played Tom Brady a lot now, especially in big games. They have. And I'm guessing somewhere along the lines someone that either used to play with Tom or maybe someone that was really studying game film Uh,
0: or maybe Brendan Daly who used to defensive line in new England, or maybe Brendan Daly. They went along and they said,
1: yo, if we change the Jersey numbers, this dude is fucked. (laughs) And so the chiefs proposed it. They waited until they lost to him twice in the playoffs. And now Tom Brady's demise is upon us.
0: It's time. It, we're finally going to get him. This is going to be what ends his reign of terror for good. No, but I mean, in reality, though, couldn't you imagine that being the kind of insider knowledge that somebody like Brenda Daly would have? I'm just yeah. saying, like, yeah. like, like, do you remember? I know you remember it because I think we have talked about I, I don't remember if we talked about it on the podcast, but you <laughs> remember, I think it was two or three seasons ago where the Patriots did this while Tom Brady was still a Patriot, where Belichick was changing who reported eligible and when nope. they reported eligible and nope. it involved having an extra offensive lineman in there. I don't remember against the, the specifics. Yeah, yeah, that's right, against the Ravens. Yeah, in the playoffs. And, and the Patriots got away with this sh- these shenanigans by doing this late reporting stuff and kind of switching around who reported as an eligible receiver and it completely bamboozled the Ravens mm-hmm. and you know, they beat them in the playoffs and it just is uh I don't know. I mean I can imagine that sort of scenario playing out in practice in new England and Tom, Tom Brady, not I don't dealing with it. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's something to it.
1: So another rule change, uh, there's a slight change to the onside kick rules. So there used to be an 18% recovery rate before the NFL made changes two years ago to make the kicks more safe. And the, the safety measures also included You know, where guys could line up, how they could approach the ball before the kickoff and all that stuff. And it dropped drastically on the recovery rate. And so the recovery rate was down to about 7%. I think three kicks have been recovered successfully, including two by the Falcons in the same game against the uh, Cowboys.
0: Yeah, yeah, like, cool.
1: yeah, the GOAT. And so anyways, um, so they made a change, but it's only a slight change. They they made it so only nine players on the receiving team can be in the, the reception area, which is that cluster where they put everybody um, on an onside kick instead of all 11 so they're only removing two guys from the receiving area yeah. I don't think it's going to help very much I think the really the heart of the onside kick was that the kicking team could get a running start before the kicker kicked so that right. they're you know they could really as soon as that ball was off you've got 10 guys full running speed. at you full sure. speed and now they can't move forward until the ball is kicked and I think that extra you know couple yards is is making all the difference so I don't think that's really going to matter much
0: Sure. And to be honest with you, we've talked about this before, but to be honest with you, I wish they would just get rid of it and they would just replace it with the fourth and 15, you know, redo possession. You know, if you want to take possession, you can get the ball with a fourth and 15 and convert that or a fourth and 12 or whatever it would have to be to make it equitable because the onside kick just isn't, it isn't, it isn't cool. Like it just, it's just a, it's just a special teams play that nobody cares about. and, And most of the time it doesn't work. And like, You know, there's apparently one guy in the league and it's young ho that can actually pull it off and nobody else can actually get it done. I would much, much rather see actual football plays rather than this weird, quirky special teams play that that doesn't
1: or, you know, be cool is if they could if they could kick the ball through the upright, they get it back something that's like impressive like kicking the ball dinky, you know, you just touch it and it rolls to the right five yards and then you jump on it. It's like not impressive. And, and if they could even, let's say they even backed it up because I'm sure most NFL kickers right now could come pretty close to making it. But if they even backed it up five or 10 yards and then said, yeah, if you want to bomb one from 75 and make it through the upright, we'll give you the ball back. I don't know. Um, The other change was that they added some expanded assistance to the replay officials. Right now, replay officials kind of didn't really have a ton of uh, say as far as certain plays that they could buzz down to the refs. They do have a live mic down there and they, the story did say that some refs call for what they call off the book help from the replay official where they know that they had a good shot but it's not something that's officially in the rules that the replay official can help with so now they kind of expanded that made it so if the replay official spots a ball that hits the turf that no one notices or something like that they can buzz down and say hey you gotta take a look at that so um you know i don't think anytime anyone is looking at the plays through a camera and can make a better call than what the on-field refs had i don't think that's a bad change
0: I don't think it's a bad change either, although I wish they had gone with the full sky judge, which was the proposed change. That's right. Um, But, I mean, I think that's been a proposed change, or at least it's been discussed for the past several years, and the NFL just doesn't seem inclined to do it. Yeah. Not at all.
1: And then finally, the spot and choose rule that we talked about last week where the Ravens proposed that overtime would have one team spotting it on the field and the other team choosing to have the ball or not. That did not pass. It did seem to have some momentum. People were intrigued by it. There's a um, like a smaller football league that's kind of the incubator for some NFL rules before they actually pass. And they are going to use spot and choose. So I do think that um, it's, it's probably going to go in there one day, but not today.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting situation and we'll certainly see what they, what they do with it. But uh, for the most part, except for those Jersey number changes, that's going to be the big, that's going to be the big one. That's just gonna, that's going to change everything. Uh, Did you see that in order to change Jersey, this jerseys this year, players would have to buy out their existing inventory.
1: They would. Did you see one Thornhill say, I want to wear 15.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. And Pat retweeted it and said, should
1: I bring back number five? And of course, because they're both joking, everyone's like, "Oh no, Pat, don't do it!" Oh, you know, they're all freaking out.
0: But right, yeah. of course they are. Yeah, but you know, I, I kind of, you could go either way with it, right? Like, uh, Juan Thornhill probably could buy out his jersey inventory because there probably aren't very many of them in yeah. circulation. Patrick could do it because he has a <laughs> ton of money. But man, he'd be buying back like millions of. Jer- yeah, he'd
1: spend like like probably a hundred million dollars on the jerseys. I think.
0: Yeah. So finally kind of alluded to it already, obviously the draft it's next week. It's going to be, I mean, we're going to be midway through round one this time next week. I already mentioned, we're going to have our special live show. We're not big draft guys. You guys know that, but there was some news that I kind of wanted to to kick around uh, just because it's interesting. I know you don't get hyped for the draft, but did you see Heisman winner Devonta Smith 117 receptions last year in uh, 1,856 yards, 23 touchdowns in 13 games at Alabama wins the Heisman trophy as a wide receiver. Did you see how much he weighed in at? Yeah.
1: 166 pounds soaking wet.
0: How, when was the last time you weighed 166 pounds or less? I mean,
1: seventh grade. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. I
0: just, I, he's, he's six foot even And he weighs 166 pounds. And I get that he's extremely talented. He didn't do his athletic testing, so we can't give you, like, a relative athletic score. But, I mean, look at those numbers. I understand that he played at Alabama. But, man, how long has it been since the wide receivers won the Heisman Trophy? He was nuts. It's been a long time. He was incredible. Uh, The Chiefs, if any of you are wondering, the lightest wide receiver that the Chiefs have drafted under Andy Reid, who obviously got here in 2013. uh, McCole Hardman was at 187. Tyreek at 185 and the lightest checking in at 176 pounds. D'Anthony Thomas, D'Anthony Thomas is five, eight. He's four <laughs> inches, four to five inches shorter. I, I think Smith is listed at six one. I think he might actually be six foot. Yeah. But DeAnthony Thomas was four inches shorter and weighs 10 more pounds. And he's and, small. And it's DeAnthony Thomas. Yeah. He's like the, the twinkiest twink that's ever taken the field for us. Except for, by the way, there was one guy that I was able to find that the Chiefs have drafted that weighed in lower than that. And I gave him to you the other day as a trivia question. You nailed it. One take. It's sex from a cluster. Dexter McCluster was drafted in 2010. He did play one season for the current Chiefs administration in 2013 before they realized that he sucked and got rid of him. Dexter McCluster, 5'9", 165. So he was the same same weight as Devonta Smith and three to four inches shorter. I, I just, it's really hard for me to believe that somebody could succeed in the NFL at that weight because, I know that this isn't true because I'm, I'm not in good shape at all, but it feels like I should be able to push around somebody that weighs 166 pounds. Right. And I'm out of shape and I, I, I have no strength at all, but I mean, I got 40 pounds on that guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of when I used to fight with my little brother and like, you know, he, I, I definitely didn't, wasn't as active as he was, but like, I'm bigger than him. I was a couple of years older than him. I can always push him around. Like, it's just, kind of it's kind of old man strength type of thing. And he's just, 166 is just a little guy. I mean, I just can't believe, you know, if a safety lights him up or something, like how is he going to survive in the NFL?
0: Yeah, I don't know. But I will say this, Taylor, Uh, given his performance at Alabama, if for some reason the NFL were to decide that they won't draft a 166-pound receiver in the top 30 picks in the first Ah. round, uh, would you do it? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. We I could think make it, it work. I mean, yeah, we could. And I feel like, I mean, listen, you know, to be honest with you, if I were picking in the top half of the draft, that would really concern me, and I would, because you're making such a huge investment. Yep. With a pick that high. Yep. That even if he if it turns out that he can play, who knows if he can stay healthy? I mean, that's really the question. But man, if he fell all the way to 31, which he won't, but if he did. I mean pfft, sure. Yes. Sign me up at that point in time, right? I agree. That's like a high it's like a high second round pick
1: basically on him and I mean that's that's a steal for an 1800 yard Heisman trophy winning. Yeah. Yeah, give me him all day.
0: So, we have our next segment. It deserves its own spot. This was at the top of the news. Biggest news of the week in my opinion. I'm a little bit biased, but we say goodbye to uh, I don't know. I don't want to say a controversial figure in, in chief's kingdom history, but I think that's fair. I think it is fair. I, he certainly has taken a turn since he left and Patrick Mahomes replaced him and won us a super bowl and everything that he went through in Washington. I'm talking of course about former chiefs quarterback. Alex Smith has decided to retire. He was waived earlier this off season by the football team after winning the comeback player of the year last year, taking Washington to a division title, getting him into the playoffs Possibly. and then unfortunately not being able to play in the playoffs because of that darn knee and that darn leg of his. Uh, we just got to spend a minute to talk about Alex Smith.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think he represents a, a lot in chief's kingdom. He represents the Andy Reed era. Of course, when Reed came in, the first big move was to bring in the former number one overall pick. And, you know, he kind of, he faced a ton of adversity in his football career. Whether that was the Kaepernick stuff in San Francisco, where he got dinged up and got a concussion. Kaepernick came in and looked good, and then when he was over his concussion, they were like, "Ah, we're good." And you know, he took that in stride, and he still got traded to the Chiefs and got gave us and five. And he had to watch
0: a Super Bowl from the sidelines. He had to right? watch a Super Bowl from the watch sidelines of a team lost. that he I led. Mean, yes, yeah. yes,
1: that would be very, very difficult. And I just. I have many, many more positive memories than negative about Alex. Um, And I think a lot of that's due to his personality as much as it was his, him as a quarterback.
0: Yeah, I agree. And we'll, we'll talk about in a minute, kind of our favorite memories of him, the quarterback, but you know for whatever you would say about him as a player and he certainly had his downsides you know he was a conservative player for most of his chiefs career he obviously had that 2017 season with Patrick Mahomes on the bench where he kind of let it rip and posted some career best numbers but whatever you want to say about him as a as a quarterback and his limitations there no one has ever said a bad word about Alex Smith ever I I literally have never heard anyone speak ill of him as a person and quite the opposite in fact just uh listening to some of the the national news media that had interacted with him kind of wax poetic about him this week you know the the way that he handled his uh his press you know at that Super Bowl against the Ravens where he was backing up Colin Kaepernick after he lost his job the injury you know um the way obviously that he handled the situation with Patrick Mahomes. I mean mm-hmm. that you know that is as much a part of his Chiefs legacy as anything he did on the field. Uh the way that he mentored Patrick Mahomes who ended up taking his job and winning a Super Bowl, you know, um just the way that he supported him and I don't know. I mean, we obviously we've seen the way that that plays out around the NFL, um, in other situations with different quarterbacks, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, whenever he gets called in to mentor a young quarterback, he ends up just taking their job yeah, and uh, sending them to the bench. savage. Yeah. Ruthlessly, uh, banishing them to the bench, uh, because he's a savage, you know, Aaron Rodgers, obviously when, when Jordan love was drafted, his initial reaction was, was pretty negative. Um, and as then was Ben he,
1: Roethlisberger and uh, was that sure. Mason Rudolph, I think or yep, it was somebody Mason Rudolph, yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it just was a rare thing what he did in Kansas City. And so obviously we'll be forever grateful to him for that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you spoke a little bit of his limitations as a quarterback, but I mean, this dude wasn't Jamarcus Russell. Like he was still pretty damn effective. I would say he was usually hovering around. 12th to 15th best quarterback in the league and his best games. He could jump into the top five or so when he was absolutely on. And yeah, he could have some, some shitty games where he was checking everything down and he would look like an idiot. But I mean, most of the time he gave you a chance to win. And that was very obvious from the day that he came in and the chiefs that went two and 14 the year before won their first nine games. And it was like, Oh shit. Like this guy can play football. And he was a good fit with Andy, which is one of the reasons that Andy went after him immediately when he came to Kansas City because he knew that he was smart enough to run the offense and he would make decisions that Andy could live with. They're not necessarily always as aggressive as Andy would want, as we found out later when he finally got his hands on Mahomes, but he would he wouldn't cost you too many games. And I think that during the Alex Smith era, as a Chiefs fan, who was very interested in every pass that was thrown as you know, it was frustrating as a fan but when you look back on it and especially now that the Chiefs have had some success after Alex Smith you can kind of appreciate like it wasn't that rough of a ride you know like they they never won two games or anything like that it was never they were never an embarrassment they were usually in the playoffs or at least extremely competitive and I think that some people kind of They like to get caught up in the moment and anytime he would make a bad decision, they would kind of, you know, freak out about it. But in general, if anyone looks back on the Alex Smith era with a lot of negativity, you're just not, you're just not seeing the situation for what it really was.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's completely fair. And I think that, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but there were times when Alex Smith not often, but there were times when he was raising the level of the offense around him. I mean, he wasn't a guy that could routinely carry the team like Patrick Mahomes does with his right. talent and his arm. But uh, I mean, I think back to, and I want to focus on positive memories here, but I think back to the, the playoff game against the Colts in 2014, which if memory serves was his first year as a chief, was it not? 13, but yeah, but that was the 14 playoffs, wasn't it? Oh, I think that that was January of 14. Yeah, that was was, was his yeah. That was his first playoff game as a chief. You're right. And it was one of the best games he ever played. I mean, he was incredible in that game. And you know, I mean, just like just like the Titans loss, which bookended his career in the playoffs, you know, the second half of that Indianapolis game, the offense wasn't moving the ball. And maybe that was his fault, maybe it wasn't. There's there's blame to go around. I mean, the Chiefs losing half of their offense, including Jamal Charles in that game, half of their defense, you know, they lost Houston in that game to an injury. They lost, I think, Brandon Flowers in that game to an injury, if memory serves. Right. It just was right. ridiculous. But, yeah. you know, I mean, he played great in that game. And if things had gone even slightly differently, he wins that playoff game. And you can say that about almost every playoff game that he was in. I mean, the Chiefs were in almost all of those games. Mm-hmm. Now I never got him over the top, but, you know, you play out those games a hundred times and there are seasons where the chiefs make the super bowl with Alex Smith. Yeah. They, they never did it. So, you know, it's easy to sit here and say like, well, you know, he could never get him over the hump, but I think that's just, I don't know. I think that's, that's kind of hindsight bias, right? Like I think there were ways that the chiefs could have won the super bowl under Alex Smith. It didn't happen. They obviously made the decision to move on, but he was a good player. He was. And you know, the, The Tennessee
1: loss, the Colts loss, the Pittsburgh loss, those were all barely, you know, one point and two point losses that the Chiefs were absolutely in until the end. And you're exactly right. If if something breaks their way, if idiot referees don't call idiot plays and, you know, some other stuff happens. Yeah, you could have absolutely seen a scenario where Andy Reid and Alex Smith take the Chiefs with a badass defense or something onto the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. That is not a hypothetically crazy scenario by any means. Um, I pulled Alex's numbers compared to all chiefs quarterbacks in history. Yeah, let's hear it. And so I'm just going to go over some of the, the big stats that um, where Alex ended up in his career as a chief. So these are all obviously in games only played as a chief uh, in wins Alex was second all time in wins with 50 regular season wins. First is Lenny with 105. So Lenny has twice as many more as, as anyone else
0: yeah, ever. Patrick in, is at 38. So he's, he's uh...
1: 38 and Trent was third with 48 Trent green. So, um, you know, Alex with 50 wins in five seasons, Averages double digit wins a year. I mean, that's a that's a hell of a career. It uh, did end
0: up with double digit wins every year, except for one. I think he had one yeah, nine and seven season in there. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: Uh, win percentage with a minimum of a hundred or of uh, yeah hundred pass attempts. Alex was fourth with a six fifty eight winning percentage in franchise history. Uh, first is obviously Mahomes with his ridiculous thirty eight and 10, 8.26 win percentage. Uh, second is Joe Cool with six eighty, and third is. Somehow, Steve Bono, Steve Bono <laughs> had a 677. He was 21 and 10 as a starter, but that's I really think, Derek Thomas. Yeah, and... <laughs> I literally in my notes I have thank you Derek Thomas for yeah. that one. So right, yeah, exactly. But you know, Alex fourth in win percentage completions. He was third with 1587 completions in franchise history. Lenny had 2043. Trent had 1720, and then he slot Alex in there, and then Bill Kenny was fourth with 1282, and Mahomes sitting there at fifth with 1114 um and exact same order same top five for pass attempts so you know completions and attempts i mean alex he was he put in his time as well as any chiefs quarterback ever has he did uh, completion percentage with a minimum of 100 attempts alex is second with a 65.15 completion percentage do you know who's behind
0: yeah patrick (laughs) yeah of course of course (laughs) 66.03 that's right 66 every year for patrick pretty much that's right and third
1: third after Alex is 65 is Trent green with 61.9. So, I mean, hmm. you know, Alex was uh he didn't miss his targets very much. Some of that's have...
0: Andy too. Those are both yes. Andy's
1: quarterbacks. So yes, that's absolutely right. If you, I have a minimum of hundred pass attempts, but if you take off that minimum, all the top five in completion percentage are all Henny and Foles and Alex and I mean Chase every Daniel. quarterback Chase Daniel yeah exactly every quarterback that's been under Andy Reid has a high completion percentage uh yards Alex is third with 1700 17608 passing yards Lenny has 10,000 more passes than or yards than that in first place he has 27587 Trent Green checked in next at second place with 21459 and then Alex and then Bill Kenny and then Patrick Mahomes at 14152 so that's the top 5 there in yards in touchdown passes Alex is fourth with 102 pass touchdowns as a chief. Lenny had 229. He's so a very
0: good player. Len, Len, Dawson.
1: Len Dawson was uh, he he could make it happen. Yeah. Trent Green checks in at second with 118. So third place with 114. Patrick LeVon Mahomes the second. He is sure. already four touchdown passes away from second place. But this isn't about Patrick. This is about Alex Smith. <laughs> it's he was fourth with 102. The quarterback rating. Minimum of 100 attempts, Alex was second in Chiefs history with a 94.8 behind that guy, Patrick Mahomes, 108.7, and Alex right ahead of Trent Green's 87.3 and Joe Cool's 85, so... 94. I mean, Alex was a hell of a quarterback rushing yards by a quarterback first in franchise history with 1672 rushing yards. Wow. Len Dawson, 1267 Mahomes 808. That's the top three in rushing yards. By I mean, a he's got
0: a little, he's got a little, uh, he's got a little lead on Mahomes. He might hold that record for another hundred yards. Yeah. Yeah. He might hold that record for another three or four years. That's right. Uh, rushing touchdowns by
1: a quarterback first with 10 was Alex. Smith. Wow. Okay. Uh, Len Dawson, nine, Mike Livingston, seven, and Mahomes, fourth with six. So those are regular season numbers. Um, just kind of shows that on the Mount Rushmore of Chiefs quarterbacks, I know, you know, that's maybe not the best Mount Rushmore of, of any team in the league, but it's certainly Alex Smith's etched up there right along with Len Dawson and Mahomes. Um, I also did want to cover real quick that, or that Alex was one of four Chiefs quarterbacks to win a playoff game. There's only been four. Ugh. It's Mahomes six, Lynn Dawson five, Joe Montana two, Alex Smith one.
0: God, so that's crazy.
1: That is crazy. Best completion percentage in a, in playoffs Chiefs history is Alex Smith at sixty four point eight uh, six percent, and he's second to Mahomes in completions, yards, touchdown passes, quarterback rating, and quarterback rush yards in Chiefs playoff history. So I mean, and and Alex Smith only won one game, so he clearly still was playing in. Um, yeah. He,
0: he got to the playoffs. I mean, they made the playoffs every year, but one. Yep. Yep. When he was the starter and the, the year that they made it, they beat both super or the year that they missed, they beat both super. Bowl <laughs> that's that that's right. I mean, that's right.
1: So, you know, Alex Smith, um, he might not have filled the stat sheet up, but when you look back on all time chiefs, great quarterbacks, you have to have to have to mention him.
0: Yeah. Before we move on from Alex Smith, you know, we, we're, we're putting our time in for Alex. He was a good dude. He deserves he it. Served, he deserves the love. Uh, favorite Alex Smith memories. I'll, I'm going to start and I think it's going to be the same for both of us, but it's, yep. it's week one mm-hmm. against new England mm-hmm. at new England. Patriots are getting their championship rings. Chiefs beat them, beat the brakes off of them in Foxborough. And when we were talking about the show earlier in the week planning the show. I joked that that was when the chiefs won the Super Bowl with Alex yeah. Smith. Cause it really like, yeah. Of all, of the five-year stretch that he was here, that was the and prior to us winning the Super Bowl, I don't know. I mean, as soon as Patrick Mahomes stepped on the field, that that was that eclipsed any feelings that I ever felt with Alex Smith. And that's no offense to Alex. It's I know just, what you're about to say though. That's who Patrick Mahomes is. But that's the closest that I ever felt. Like that game was okay. We yeah. we are Super Bowl favorites. You know, it didn't, it didn't turn out that way. But that was how I felt. <laughs>
1: Yeah, being on top of the NFL mountain is something that few franchises and few fan bases get to really feel. You know, you can have the best record and you can right. win the Super Bowl even, but to feel like, man, nobody out there can mess with us. It's it's rare and it's something that the Patriots basically have taken from every other franchise for the last 20 something years. But on that night in 2017 with the Chiefs coming out there and absolutely just bull rushing the the patriots and putting up 42 on a bill belichick defense and Kareem Hunt going nuts and Alex throwing four touchdown passes and just looking incredible um that was i i see what you mean about feeling like we won the super bowl because that was as high as the chiefs had gotten in so long until the mahomes era
0: yeah so uh another game another alex smith memory what's what's number 2 on your list another week 1 yeah. oh yeah i know it
1: and of course, we're talking about the week one comeback in 2016, the year before, against the Chargers, where the Chiefs were down 24-3 to in the third quarter, with six minutes left in the third quarter, and this is Tyree Kill's rookie, rookie game, first game, and he catches a touchdown pass, and Alex just... Just methodically, never really didn't look like Mahomes out there or anything, wasn't just absolutely slaying, but he just moved the ball. He just kept moving the ball and he had a touchdown pass to Macklin. And then this was funny the Chiefs were down 10 with three minutes to go, with fourth and six on the 15, and they kick a field goal. And you sure. know, I mean, you know. you're on the 15, but you do need two scores anyway. And so they make the field goal, and the Chargers get the ball back with three minutes to go. And you figure you're probably they're probably going to bleed off a lot of clock, but they only were able to bleed a minute off before they punted back to the Chiefs. But they only punted 17 yards back, <laughs> so the Chiefs took over at the Chargers' 42. That's about as
0: classic Chargers as it gets. They, yeah. they only take
1: 49 seconds to score and they tie the game, and then they win in overtime.
0: Unbelievable. I mean. The, that yeah, that whole second half was classic Chargers. Spencer Ware absolutely torched the Chargers in that yes. game as a receiver out of the backfield. Man, he. He slayed them. seven balls for
1: 129 yards and he had the game tying touchdown and he had 70 yards on the ground. So he had 200 yards total. I mean, it was talk about Andy Reed coming out with a, with a game plan to open the year. And they talked about afterwards that, you know, they didn't change their game plan much when they were down. They, they knew the kind of things they wanted to execute in this game. And they just went out there and they converted two for two on fourth downs. And they, they just kept, Kept moving, kept matriculating the ball down the field, as Hank would say, and uh, that was something. You know, that's got the big roar from from Alex Smith after yeah. the game. He scored the game-winning touchdown in overtime, the two-yard rush yeah. on third and two. Imagine if he had gotten stuffed on third and two there. Sure, and the Chiefs probably kick a field goal because right. then they give the ball back to the Chargers, and who knows what happens. But nope he uh, he wrapped it up, and that was a that was a heroic
0: Alex Smith performance. For that sure. was the biggest comeback in Chiefs history prior to. <laughs> Another one. The, the Houston game. <laughs> yeah. Which right. was twenty-four to nothing. But yeah, the uh, the week one games. Uh I, I don't know what it says about Alex Smith. We're we're trying not to speak ill of him as he is retiring. I don't know what it says about Alex Smith that our, our finest memories of him are in week one, but man, uh both those are both, those are both bangers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're they're both very fond memories. Uh what's number three for you if you have one?
1: I do. Um so to me this is this is more symbolic and this is the 30 to nothing win over the Houston Texans in the wildcard game.
0: That's what I was going to have. And,
1: and it's not necessarily Alex, the chiefs, you know, threw for 190 yards. Um, It was more about what this win, you know, what it felt like to win a playoff game for the first time in 22 years and to really feel like, you know, the chiefs did it. They found their guy, they found their quarterback. They've, you know, it was, it was just such a cathartic experience in general, and they beat the brakes off the Texans. That's for damn sure. I mean, they the Texans never had a chance in this one, thanks to the Chiefs' defense. But really, you and know,
0: Nile Davis and Niall
1: Davis running the opening kickoff back for a touchdown, and just going absolutely, you know, just starting the game off on the right foot. But yeah, this is a this is a very classic Alex Smith game where the stats might not have shown it, but. He was, he was responsible for this team's success this year.
0: We have a mailbag question to close out our Alex Smith question. This comes from our man Corio Four at the artist chief Ka-ka! 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 question for the podcast with the announcement of Alex Smith's retirement. Several members of Chiefs Twitter still took shots at him as a QB. Let's play into that emotion. Which quarterbacks did the Chiefs pass on in the 2014, 2015, and 2016 NFL drafts? Did they miss on anyone? Keep in mind, this could have led to, gasp, the Chiefs not drafting Mahomes in 2017. I'm going to include the 2013 draft class as well, which was actually Andy's first draft with John Dorsey. And I think Corey probably knew the answer to this question when he asked it. But let's go ahead and answer it for him anyway. So 2013, uh, the first draft with Andy Reid and John Dorsey, the Chiefs had the first overall pick in this draft, drafted Eric Fisher. We roasted this draft class a few weeks ago, Taylor. It was terrible. Uh, I will just remind you the quarterbacks drafted in this draft class were E.J. Manuel, who was the only first-round quarterback, Geno Smith, uh, QB3 Mike Glennon, (laughs) QB4 Matt Barkley, and then it gets worse from there. So Obviously the chiefs were not drafting, you know, out of the gate, they made the trade for Alex Smith. As soon as Andy came in, traded two second round picks, got Alex Smith, brought him in. They clearly were not going to get anybody better than Alex Smith in that 2013 draft class. 2014. uh, This is a funny one. We didn't roast this draft class, but it it is very roastable. Blake Bortles was QB one in this class. Johnny Manziel was drafted as QB two. Those were the only two first rounders in this class, or excuse me, Teddy Bridgewater actually did sneak in at the 32nd pick there as yeah. a first-rounder. Yeah. And then uh, in the second round, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, some serviceable players in this draft, but it feels like, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, those guys would have been – they probably would have been Alex Smith. in Kansas, yeah. Right? Like, I, I mean, Carr maybe has a little bit better arm, but he certainly is not as mobile. Jimmy Garoppolo, Teddy Bridgewater, you know – guys that I feel like would have come into Andy Reed's offense and performed very similarly to Alex Smith. So Agreed. what are you doing? Wasting a second round pick on it when you've already got Alex Smith 2015, the only first round quarterbacks in 2015 were Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, who of course went one, one and one, two in that draft class. And the only other quarterback in this draft class that had, uh, that had more than a handful of NFL starts, Jameis and Mariota were the only two that had more than 13 NFL starts checking in right at 13 was the 250th overall pick seventh rounder Trevor Simeon who had 13 starts in the NFL by virtue of the fact that the Broncos can't draft quarterbacks and were desperate and threw him into action. He was like the best Broncos quarterback of the last five years since paid Manning retired. And he was terrible. Uh, I actually, so Marcus Mariota is the first guy on this list where I said, you know, I think he could have been something in Kansas city. Uh, yeah. But again, you're talking about somebody that in fact was compared to Alex Smith in the draft process. I mean, a guy that had a, a, a decent arm, pretty mobile, very conservative. That's the passer that he ended up being with the Titans, in the NFL, just very risk averse, Yeah, you know, liked to run kind of more of a, a one read and take off kind of guy. Uh, but the Chiefs also had no chance of ever drafting him because he was taken second overall. The Chiefs That's were never right. in a position to be able to draft him. So you can't even really say that that they passed on him because, you know, um yeah, two I passed overall. on dating Kate Upton.
1: I mean
0: Yeah, right, exactly. Oh, that was that was dumb. You shouldn't have passed on that. I would nope, have would have taken I, him. I shouldn't yeah. have. No, you shouldn't have. Uh 2016 really is the first and only kind of interesting draft class on here. Goff and Wentz going back to back in the the first, so one 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 two again, kind of out of the Chiefs' price range. Paxton Lynch went Ooh. to the Broncos Ooh. at one twenty six overall, twenty six overall pick. The Chiefs were rumored to have been interested in Paxton Lynch. We'll never know how interested they were because they didn't get him. Broncos did, and the Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes the following year. Christian Hackenberg in round two, obviously he was never going to be anything. But QB eight in this draft, Dak Prescott in the fourth round he's the first guy on this list. And I don't know if you saw anybody or or heard anybody that I just read through. He's the first guy on this list who the chiefs actually could have selected Mm -hmm. and actually is better than Alex Smith, right? Like I think Dak Prescott in his time in the NFL has definitively proven that he had a higher ceiling than Alex Smith, that the chiefs could have selected him, but I don't know that they were ever linked to him. Certainly the Cowboys never expected him to be what he is which yeah. is a really good quarterback. I mean, at least whatever you think about Dak, he's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And obviously the Cowboys didn't think that that's what he was going to be or they would have drafted him before the fourth round. That's right. And they wouldn't have waited that long to take him and risk him going to another team. I mean, same he, with
1: every other team in the NFL that passed
0: yeah, on him. I mean, exactly. you know, that's he's exactly. a
1: fourth round quarterback. That's how it goes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really um, expanding this list even to free agents. I I did go through the free agents that the Chiefs would have had access to from 2013 to 2017, the period that Alex Smith was starting for the Chiefs. And really the only notable quarterback free agents that actually changed teams in this time span uh, that were kind of interesting uh, were Nick Foles, who actually did sign with the Chiefs. (laughs) Yes, he did. He was a free agent and he did, in fact, come to Kansas City and he did play pretty well in limited time uh, spelling Alex Smith and then obviously parlayed that into a backup role in Philadelphia where he became a legend. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the other guy who who obviously would have been extremely fun if we had brought him in. But obviously it still would be. That's right. Why not? You know, I, I mean, once he's done, where did he end up? Washington, right? Washington. That's I mean, right. He's, he's going to be their starting quarterback. He's going to be their starting quarterback. Good for yeah. him. I, I'm I I would love to have him on the chiefs, but I'm glad that he's going to be starting games for another team rather than sitting on a bench. <laughs> replacing
1: Alex Smith. I'd rather here. be,
0: I'd rather be watching Brian Fitzpatrick play football than watching him sit on the chiefs bench. Although that would be cool as well. We could still make that happen. Yeah. Uh, the other guy, Kirk cousins, and he actually changed teams in 2017. So he doesn't even really count. He was franchise tagged in 2016. I I don't know. I mean, really, it's, it's really hard to look back at who was actually taken in these drafts and who was actually available in free agency and say the chiefs could have done better than Alex Smith. I, I just don't see that that's true. You know, it's
1: a different sentiment than when you look at the chiefs draft history from 1984 to 2017, And you kind of think big picture wise, like, damn, the Chiefs never, ever, ever put any draft capital in a quarterback until Mahomes after Blackledge. And like, you can, you can, what if some of those scenarios, but the Alex Smith era, you know, that they, the Chiefs never, like you just detailed, never really had the chance there to nobody ever really, you don't look back and you think, damn, I really wish we could have had blank instead of Alex. I mean, that was, that was a good, good trade, good pick, good era, nothing but
0: positivity on the Alex Smith Chiefs. Right. We wish him all the best in retirement. Taylor, this brings us to our final segment of this episode, which I know we have both been looking forward to. This is going to be a draft and it's a draft of just berserk, wild, crazy football stuff. We left it pretty open-ended, pretty nebulous. Um, We're obviously both huge stack guys and number guys and In some ways, this was inspired by my first overall pick. It's on the board. You already know what I'm taking because you can't stop me. <laughs> in some ways, it was inspired by my first pick, and I'll get to that in a moment. But I do want to lead with the greatest statistical discovery of all time, which we celebrate yearly in August whenever we discovered it. I think it was August. It, it yeah. comes up on my phone every year, Yep. and uh, and we celebrate accordingly. That is the legend of Daniel Bart. That's right. Some yeah. of you youngins may know Daniel Bard as as just a guy who pitches in the major leagues right now. But, oh, he's so much more than that, Taylor. <laughs> you
1: and I, you know, we, we've gotten along very well since day one. But this was this was about as giddy and as funny of a moment where we were both like, holy shit, this person is just like me and understands exactly what makes this so special.
0: It's kind of one of those things where probably you had to be here. I don't, I don't know how well this story is going to translate, but essentially – I came home one day and I don't even remember how exactly this came up, but yeah, me neither. this was, this was well after Daniel Bard had stopped pitching in the major leagues. And I think we were kind of just having a conversation about, you know, what happened to that guy? Where is he now? And so we pulled up a baseball reference. Mm -hmm. as we are wont to do. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, back in the day when we both had subscriptions, when Baseball (laughs) Reference was the only uh, sports reference page that required you to pay money to use it. It was the only
1: sports reference page.
0: It was. That's true. For a while, it was. And we discovered Daniel Bard's 2013 and 2014 minor league numbers. And I'm just going to read them off here because... (laughs) This is going to get us in the mood to draft these berserk football stats. We're going to start off with some berserk baseball stats. So, Daniel Bard, after his uh, first successful stint in the major leagues, he developed the yips hard, hard and he went to the minor leagues. And in 2013 and 2014, he faced a total of 31 batters. He allowed zero hits to those 31 batters, <laughs> no hits but he allowed 20 earned runs because he walked 18. He hit 10 guys. He struck out one and he threw four wild pitches. So out of the 31 batters that he faced, he hit 33% of them. <laughs> he walked over a half of them. Like two thirds of them. Yeah. Yeah. Two thirds of them. He allowed no hits. He struck out one guy. And I wish like, we got to use our Sports Illustrated powers someday to, like, interview the one guy <laughs> <laughs> who, who the Daniel Bard struck, <laughs> <laughs> struck out in 2013 or 2014. Man. Anyway, he's now back in the major leagues. Uh, he's good again, which yeah. is awesome. I mean, this was seven years ago that this happened. We, we love Daniel Bard. It's cool. Uh, we We stand Daniel Bard super hard. hard as baseball players go who have never played for the Kansas City Royals he's like he's like number 1 with a bullet <laughs> always celebrate daniel bard that's the inspiration in some ways for this segment the other inspiration is my number one pick, which I'm taking right now. This is the 1973 Buffalo Bills. Tell me about it. I'm going to tell you about them. So this this came to me while I was re-watching that OJ documentary that I frequently talk about on this podcast, OJ Made in America. It won a ton of awards. ESPN did it. It's incredible. Check it out if you haven't watched it. But the first episode is about OJ growing up, you know, his upbringing, and then his football career. And OJ Simpson was drafted to the Buffalo Bills out of – USC. He played football in Southern California. He had grown up in Southern California and then he gets drafted to Buffalo, New York. And OJ didn't have a great career out of the gate. He was kind of a little bit of a bust is how he was seen. And this is how the documentary is portraying it, right? Like, uh, you know, they didn't really know how to use OJ and blah, blah, blah. And the first three seasons in the NFL, he had 697 yards, 488 yards. His third season, 642 yards rushing. Okay. Not great. So the Bills then fired their coach and they replaced their coach with a guy named Lou Saban. No relation to Nick. I looked it up. And the way the documentary describes this is Lou Saban, you know, he came in and he's like, we're going to run the ball. We're going to be tough. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, every coach in the 1970s said they were going to run the ball and they were going to be tough and blah, blah, blah. And many of them
1: today still say it.
0: And many of them still say it, but I'm sure Lou Saban was like every other jabroni in the 1970s saying we're going to run the ball and we're going to win football games saying that. But it was not so, Taylor. Lou Saban and the 1973 Buffalo Bills were on a different level. Okay? This team is the only team in NFL history, and the stats for this particular stat go back to 1940 that had three times as many rush yards in a season as passing yards. They ran for more than three times as many yards on the ground as they passed for. And we're going to get deep into the history of the NFL in this segment. I anticipate, I don't know what all your picks are, but I know some of my picks are going to go back to the 1940s. Okay. Listen, we're talking about, going back to a time when quarterbacks didn't hardly exist when the rules of the game which I'm sure we're going to get into were berserk mm-hmm. this was the only team in NFL history with three times as many rush yards in a season as passing yards they ran for 3088 yards and they passed for 997 yards okay Jeez. i'm just going to read off their passing stats here real quick because
1: 900
0: i can i don't want to give away my picks but <laughs> this is not the worst passing team that we talk about that we will talk about tonight. But I'm going to read these numbers off and that's 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 what we call a tease. As long as you don't snipe any of my picks here. This team passed the ball 213 times. They rushed the ball 605 times. Unbelievable. They almost ran the ball 3 times as many attempts as they did pass the ball. But they they had 96 completions, which is at a 45.1% completion percentage. 5.8 yards per attempt they rushed by the way at 5.1 yards per attempt they almost ran the ball more efficiently than they passed it and in fact when you put in net yards per pass attempt mm-hmm. which includes sack yardage mm-hmm. they in fact ran the ball much more efficiently than they passed it because when you include sack yardage they were sacked 31 times on 244 dropbacks which is a 12.7 sack percentage oh no. Uh, Their net YPA was 4.1 yards per attempt. Their rush yards per attempt was 5.1. They threw four touchdowns and they threw 14 interceptions. Unbelievable. They ran for 20 touchdowns. Okay. Their team passer rating was (laughs) 42.7, which is hilarious. It's very funny. It's not the worst passing team that we're going to talk about tonight. No. So let that sink in. Uh, 152 rushing first downs to 60 passing first downs. They had almost three times as many passing or rushing first downs as they had passing first downs. This team, it wasn't a joke. This documentary, you yeah. know, when you're watching sports documentaries or whatever, like sometimes you get hyperbole, you get sports talk or whatever. You do. Uh, I was sitting at my computer while I was watching this documentary and I looked this up and I was like, Whoa, all right, Lou Saban. They, they were not joking. When they said that you were going to run the ball, you ran the ball like no team ever has in the history of the NFL. That's my number one pick.
1: I love it. And I love it so much because it pairs so well with my number two. First of all, that is that's almost unthinkable that a team would split that heavy towards the run and be successful at it. You would think that teams would just load up, 11 in the box and just be like, look, you can't run 600 times a year, but like yeah, they just couldn't the ball, figure bro. it out. I don't know if maybe the information wasn't traveling around and people would play the bills and have no idea about their scouting reports. I don't know. That's, that's mind boggling.
0: Sure. They didn't know who OJ Simpson was. I don't know.
1: No. So I'm going to go in the other direction. And okay. by the other direction, I mean as hard in the other direction as you can possibly go. So, okay. and I'm talking about the 1940 philadelphia eagles go birds now the 1940 eagles are something to behold okay first of all i'll start off with that they accumulated the least amount of rushing yards in nfl history what okay as a team okay in 1940 in 1940 the least amount ever of any team ever and they played 11 games so they were one in 10 they weren't very good obviously but I'm going to give you their attempts and their touchdowns, and you're going to tell me how many yards they ran for. Okay. So they had 317 rush attempts. Okay. All right. And they scored eight touchdowns, and they played
0: in 11 games. Okay. So 317 attempts Mm -hmm. and eight touchdowns, Mm -hmm. and you want me to tell you how many yards they rushed for? Take a stab. I'm going to say they rushed for – it's got to be at least – 800
1: that's what i want to know what the least number the bottom of the barrel that you think (laughs) it could possibly be well so this is the least amount of rushing yards in nfl history
0: i understand that and 300 attempts i mean even if they were rushing at two yards pop that would be 600 that's That's absurd that's right so i can't imagine it can be possibly that low i'm hoping that it is because (laughs) i just i i'm gonna i'm gonna guess 800 which would be like Three and a half a pop, or three point three a pop, or so.
1: Stretch your imagination, buddy. Stretch it as far as it can possibly go, because no, no, these nineteen forty Philadelphia no. Eagles rushed for fewer yards than they attempted a rush.
2: No, they no. rushed for
1: two hundred and ninety-eight yards on three hundred and seventeen attempts for a zero point nine <laughs> yards per attempt. So this I obviously drinking because
0: I would have spit out my
1: <laughs> So this obviously took got my attention as soon as we started talking about berserk. Teams, you know football stats i looked for the lowest yards per attempt and they were at 0.9 and the next next lowest team was at like 2.1 <laughs> so your your instincts were right there but i was like what in the hell happened so i i started diving into it right as you do now first i will give you their 11 rushing yards sorted by most yards to least yards of each game they rushed for 70 53 52 43 43 38 29 16 15 minus 7 and minus 23
0: yards minus 23 yards (laughs) in the game
1: and minus 7 yes so that was their 11 yards and or their 11 games and then I thought well how how could this possibly be the case and so I looked at their their individual stats and do you know who Davey O'Brien is I don't, I've, I've not heard
0: of Davy O'Brien.
1: You probably have heard of him because the Davy O'Brien award is given annually to the best quarterback oh, okay. in college football. Sure. Yeah. He was a sensation in the thirties. He won the Heisman, won the Maxwell at the time, which was the, um, another basically like a Heisman too. Uh, and he was the fourth overall pick in the 39 draft. He set many records at TCU in college. The Eagles picked him in the 39 draft. Right. And he somehow, is the NFL's leading negative rush yards person for a career. Incredible. So he has the least amount of rush yards of all time. And that's because for his career, Davey O'Brien, this is this is almost impossible, but he has 194 negative rushing yards in what? his career. And the better part of that is he played 2 seasons. Oh my god. So in the first season in 1939, he checked in at minus 14 yards rushing. This season that I'm talking about right now, 1940, he rushed for negative 180 yards on (sighs) 100 rushing attempts. That's impossible. So he averaged minus 1.8 yards per (laughs) attempt as the quarterback. And that obviously took away from the team totals. So the team totaled 298 yards, including his minus 180. That Even if you wipe that off, that's 478. That's still much worse than two yards a carry they were still awful 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 but the minus 180 really took them down another level oh and they gosh. ended up at 0.9 yards rushing per attempt that is the 1940 Philadelphia Eagles and David o- O'Brien by the way retired two years into his NFL career and worked for 15 years for the FBI and was a wow uh, yeah he was a weapons tech at Quantico and he trained people on firearms and then he became a um an assistant or a uh, I think they called it a advisor to Lamar Hunt in the merger huh. of the AFL and NFL fascinating so huh. he was he was all about college football he was very very good at college football in the NFL he completed his passing uh resume I guess you could call it was uh, 46% completion percentage, 11 touchdowns, 34 picks in two years. Woof. That's the Davey O'Brien Award winner.
0: Or that's, that's Incredible. Dave, that, yeah. that is unbelievable. So you're, you're back on the clock now. I, I am back on the clock. I don't know how you can follow that.
1: Well, you know, I took it to overall because I love the story. But now we're going to go to a much more tragic tale. And the, the tragic tale is going to be the 1960s. More six, tragic
0: than, <laughs> than point .9. Point
1: nine. Somehow, somehow. The 1967 Baltimore Colts. Does anything about this story have you ever, does anything ever ring a bell on this?
0: Uh, no. That's no, okay. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Just, I'm just, drawing a blank. Just curious if you had heard of them
1: because they are famous for something that I'm sure would be completely impossible these days. They went into the final week of the season in 1967 with no losses on their resume and they did not qualify for the playoffs and not because Whoa. not because they were punished not because there was a ban not because there were there were four teams that qualified out of the 16 so a quarter of the teams just like basically just like today and they did not qualify and the the scenario that set this up was mind-boggling so they were 11 and 1 and 2 at the end of a 14 game regular season they won their first four they tied with the rams and they tied with the vikings in weeks five and six and then they won week seven through 13 so they went into their showdown with the rams in week 14 at 11 and zero and two now these rams were also in the division of the colts and they were also 11 and zero and two going into this game because they played once other time in week five and they tied so this game was the division winner there were four divisions and they just sent the division winners to the to the to the playoffs Ah. and so because this was they were in the same division and they both went into the game 11 and 0 and 2 they knew that the loser of this game would not make the playoffs and the rams won the game 34 to 10 and knocked johnny unitas and the colts who were incredible that year out before the playoffs even began
0: with one loss That is crazy. So they, it's insane. It is. They
1: hold the official record for any North American professional sports history for a non playoff qualifying team. 11,
0: one and two. That's unbelievable. 0.917 winning percentage. Well, that's a good one. I'm going to top it. I'm so thrilled that this pick is still on the board at number four. I'm drafting a man. (laughs) A man named Joe Cap. Do you know uh, who Joe Cap is?
1: I love, love, love
0: Joe Cap. Okay. What do you know about Joe Cap? I, I know I think...
1: three things, but I would like you to give your spiel on him since you okay. did your, your research right. here, and then I'll kind of fill it in with what I know.
0: Sure. No spoilers. So, where to start? Joe Cap was born in Santa Fe, New Mexico in 1938. He attended college at, uh, at Cal, uh, he was a Cal Golden Bear. Led them to a Rose Bowl in 1958, which I'm told is the last time the Golden Bears made the Rose Bowl. <laughs> sure. uh, it's been a while for them. And then he was drafted by the Washington football franchise in the 18th round of the 1959 draft. So back then, Jeez. the draft went a million rounds. Uh, then Washington, which drafted him, decided not to contact him. That, that's what Wikipedia says. They did not call. They did not send a letter. They did not send him a telegram. They did not go to his home. They did not contact him. <laughs> but they, they drafted him and never called him again. <laughs> so he went to play for the Calgary Stampeders in Canada. And the Canadian Football League, of course, has a rich history going back many years. Joe Cap went to play two seasons with the Stampeders, and then he was traded to the BC Lions. That's BC for British Columbia. Yep. With whom he went in his first season, one, 13, and two, okay, in okay. 1961. Then in 1964, just three seasons later, he led them to an 11, two, and three record, won the Grey Cup, which is the Super Bowl of Canadian football. That's right. And uh, by the way, after the show, I'm going to send you a link. I found a website that has Canadian Football League stats that goes all the way back to 1964. So uh, that was a rich gold mine. That really provided a lot of content. <laughs> I'm, I didn't use it for this pick, but okay. it was a fun little a fun little rabbit hole to go down. okay so then in 1967, this is the first truly bizarre event of Joe Cap's NFL career. He was traded from the CFL to the NFL. I did not know that was possible. It is possible, however unlikely, here's how this went down. The Minnesota Vikings in 1965 had drafted a running back named Jim Young out of Queens university in Kingston, Ontario. So they drafted a running <laughs> back who was Canadian. Canadian. Okay. Yeah. I and love he, where this is going. Yeah. He played the 1965 and 1966 seasons with the Vikings. And then he said, I don't like I, it. I, I want to go, go home. Yeah. I want to go back to Canada and the BC lions who <laughs> controlled the rights to Joe cap were very interested in this player But the Toronto Argonauts had his CFL rights. (laughs) So the Minnesota Vikings general manager was a guy named Jim Finks. He had brought Cap to Canada in 1959 after Washington did not call him after drafting him. And their head coach was Bud Grant, who had faced Cap while he was coaching the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So they both thought that Joe Cap would be the best replacement for Fran Tarkenton, who had just been traded to the NFL's New York Giants. So here's what they did to make this transaction possible. The BC Lions traded their all-star defensive lineman, Dick Fouts, and a future Canadian Football League Hall of Fame running back named Bill Simons to Toronto for the <laughs> CFL rights for a different player named Jim Young, a wide receiver, who is also a future Canadian Football no. League Hall of Famer. Yep. Then they managed... <laughs> Then they got Joe Cap waived out of the CFL. They just I don't know how that happened. I'm reading this is sure. from Wikipedia. Sure. The the details are a little bit nebulous here, but they managed to get Joe Cap released from the CFL. Then the Vikings got Jim Young waived out of the NFL, which allowed the BC Lions who just traded for his Canadian football rights to sign him. And then they allowed <laughs> Joe Cap to sign with the NFL. <laughs> what so hell? this involved NFL teams <laughs> trading NFL rights and CFL teams <laughs> trading CFL rights, then releasing the players so that they could go to those respective leagues. Now, this is this is a pretty fun and interesting little quirk. This is, I'm told, one of is how Wikipedia describes it. One of the only times that there have been multi-league trades, which means there are more. Yeah. And that may be content for a future podcast. But we have to talk about, the rest of Joe Cap's career, okay? Yeah. It's pretty weird to get traded from the CFL to the NFL, but it gets weirder. Mm-hmm. In 1967 for the NFL's Minnesota Vikings, he plays in 11 games, leads the Vikings to a 3-5 and 3 record.
1: 3-5
0: and 3? 3-5 and 3. three, five, and three. <laughs> this is this is the second to last 3-tie season in league history. San Diego Also had three ties in 1970, but a three, five and three record with 18 or with, excuse me, eight touchdowns and 17 interceptions, which is a 48.2 passer rating. Okay. Yeah. Not great. In 1968, he went eight and six, uh, not a much better touchdown interception ratio, 10 to 17 touchdown interception ratio. And then in 1969 in week two, after a previous career high of three touchdowns in a game, Joe Cap throws for seven touchdowns in a game. That's one of the facts that I knew about him: was that he was a seven touchdown quarterback. He's a seven touchdown quarterback. The Vikings go on to go twelve and one that season after posting a three five and three record the previous, or three five and three, and then an eight and six record the previous two years. Mm-hmm. They go twelve and one. They lose Super Bowl four, of course, to the Kansas City Chiefs.
1: That's fact number two that I knew about
0: him. Fact number two: he was the Vikings quarterback. The loss to the Chiefs in Super Bowl four. And then the next year, he's a free agent. Okay. So okay. he just led, he, he had a seven touchdown game, which yeah. is one of the only seven touchdown games in NFL history at the time. He just had led a team to a 12 1 record and gone to the Super Bowl. I,
1: I assume he's one of the most sought after free agents of all time at that point.
0: Correct. But he's not because no one wants him. The Vikings what, don't want him back. No one signs him. He signs with the Boston Patriots after week two. Okay. And you would think okay he he should have been highly sought after he wasn't If he's signing in week 2 you would think that he wouldn't get any money at all because he's yeah. a street, he's a street free agent nobody yeah. wanted him literally no, anybody could have signed him nobody wanted him He signs after week 2 to a 4 year deal with the Patriots that makes him the highest paid player <laughs> in the history of the NFL to that, to that to that point okay the Patriots are one and one when he joins the team.
1: Freaking Patriots.
0: He then proceeds to go one and nine with three touchdowns and oh, 17 no. interceptions. No. In 10 starts, a 32.4 quarterback rating. Joe Cap. After the Patriots make him the highest paid player in the league as a street free agent. And then the next year, uh, NFL commissioner says, We want everybody to sign these standard boilerplate contacts that say, you know, if you die on the field, we're not liable, whatever it is. Pete Rosell says, you're going to sign this new boilerplate NFL contract. And Joe Kep says, no, I'm not going to do it. And he quits. And he never plays football again.
1: Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, that his story is incredible. Now, actually, fact number three that I knew about him was that he quit after the Patriots drafted a quarterback, that he was like, oh, screw that. If you guys want another person in here, I'm not even playing anymore. Now, that was... Yep. um. Yep. And the, now that
0: is part of the story. They did okay. draft quarterback. Awesome. They did.
1: Uh, so he's incredible. That's like one of the one of the most off the wall journeys and stories that yeah. you
0: could possibly have in the NFL. And let me let me just close with this. By the way, he he threw for seven touchdowns in that one game. Yeah. That accounted for, and this <laughs> is how he got oh on no. my radar. Oh no. That accounted for seventeen point five percent. Of his career touchdown passes. Holy shit. He played 51 games in the NFL and he threw 40 touchdowns. He threw seven in one game and he had two games where he threw three and he had a couple games where he threw two and that was it. a seven touchdown game for a guy that threw 40 touchdowns in his NFL career. I also want to close. I promised that we would have worse passing teams than the 1973 Buffalo Bills. The 1969, or I guess it would be the 1970 Boston Patriots mm-hmm. as a team, went 2-12 and 12 with this composite passing profile. They uh, threw 392 passes, completing 176. That's a 44.9 <laughs> completion percentage Not good. Uh, for 1,975 yards which is uh, to be fair, more than twice as many yards as the 1973 Buffalo bills would throw for that's right. But this passer, uh, this passing team, they threw seven touchdowns against 28 interceptions. Okay. 42 sacks. That's a team passer rating of 36.7. Oh no,
1: that's remember spiking the ball.
0: That's right. Throwing (laughs) the ball into the ground every time, 39.5, but, and this dovetails nicely into my next pick. Okay. That is not the worst passing team that we will talk about tonight because I'm drafting them right here. Who are Pick they? number five, the nineteen forty two Detroit Lions. Ooh. Now you already you already talked about the nineteen forty yeah. Philadelphia Eagles. I did and they're rushing ineptitude. And football you might assume was real crude. It was real crude. Uh, I don't know if you read up on the rules of football in the 1940s. Did you did you do any digging into this? <laughs> no. So so the rules of football in the 1940s were a little bit in flux, and we do have to note this for the 1942 Detroit Lions, because in their defense, the rules were very strange. Uh, I'm told, and the timeline here isn't exactly clear from Wikipedia. There's a book that I need to order and do some reading on this. But at one point in the 1940s, an incomplete pass to the end zone resulted in a loss of possession and a touchback for the offensive team. Sick. So if you threw an incomplete pass in the end zone, it was a touchback. You lost the ball. Um Quarterbacks were required to be at least five yards behind the line of scrimmage before attempting a pass. Oh no. So you you had to drop back at least five yards before you could attempt a pass. And this is the best one, Taylor. The ball had to be snapped from the location on the field where it was ruled dead. So if a player was going out of bounds, the ball had to be snapped from the sideline. There were no hash marks. There were no hash marks in 1942. Holy shit. (laughs) So so there Think were no of the hash, possibilities. There were no hash marks in 1942. You literally had to, you had to like stand on the sideline and like snap the ball from the sideline. If your guy went out of bounds, Holy uh, shit. So I guess you probably told your players not to go out of bounds because I assume that would be extremely awkward to run formations from, but all of these caveats aside, even understanding how incredibly crude, football was in the 1940s the 1942 Detroit Lions standalone is the worst passing offense of all time okay Okay. I've already alluded to a couple of teams you'd say how could a team possibly be worse than a team that had a passer rating so bad that if they had done nothing but throw the ball into the ground the entire year that's right their passer rating would have improved okay that was both the the 1970 Patriots the 1973 Bills but the 1942 Lions Taylor they had nine players attempt at least one pass. Again, weird situation, right? Quarterback, it existed as a position, but it's a little bit nebulous. You've got halfbacks and wingbacks and halfbacks and yeah. tailbacks yeah. and yeah, for sure. You know who knows. But the Detroit Lions attempted 222 passes as a team. They completed 73. That's a 32.9 oh, completion no. percentage. Okay, they threw for 895 yards on 225 or 222 attempts that's 4 yards per attempt. They threw one touchdown pass.
1: Oh, congratulations 42 Lions. One. Yeah.
0: Yep, they threw one touchdown pass. How many picks did I, they throw? In I believe 11 games. And this is where it gets it gets real fun. Uh that one touchdown pass came at the expense of uh 33 interceptions. Oh, they had a they had a one no. to thirty they had a one to thirty three touchdown interception ratio. No, uh, for a team passer rating of eight point two. <laughs> <laughs> 8.2. point 8, 8. two. That is the lowest team passer rating in NFL history. That's again, impossible. Again, throwing the ball into the ground is thirty nine point five. They were thirty points worse than that oh, for an no. entire season. And I'm not sure how this formula works for that time period. Uh, this is different from net yards per attempt. This is adjusted yards per attempt. Yeah. This is a formula that takes into account uh, interception yardage. Sacks didn't exist in 1942, as as I'm sure you know. That's right. I'm not sure how accurate this is, but they're adjusted yards per attempt, uh, factoring in those 33 interceptions. Was negative two point six. Oh. So essentially, with all those interceptions, every time they threw the ball, they lost two point six yards. Holy shit! And that's the nineteen forty-two Detroit Lions. Not You're back yet, on the though. clock. So
1: I had some research
0: involved oh. in the forty-two Lions, oh. and so I'm just okay. gonna
1: I'm gonna kind of bolster this pick of yours a little bit. Oh, and yeah. Lay it on me. So one of the. Things that I found out about the 42 Lions was that they also had 56 turnovers in 11 sure. games. Sure. So five turnovers a game they averaged, including sure, 33
0: picks and
1: an NFL record 12 turnovers in a 42 to nothing shutout loss to the Chicago Bears. Wow. Okay. So they totally sucked ass. Obviously that is incredible. They also have recorded the fewest points over an entire course of a season in NFL history. So in their 11 games, (laughs) they only recorded 38 points. So they averaged, you know, 3.5 points a game. And the next (laughs) lowest is 60 points over a total season. So they almost cut the, the worst number in half. They were
0: an absolute pit of despair. I I can't, man, I can't believe that, that I can't believe that the lions. And I'm sorry if we have any lions fans for some reason that listen to this podcast about the chiefs. Yeah. I can't believe that the lions both have one of the winless seasons in NFL history and somehow also have in their franchise history, a team that is worse than a team that won zero games. And it's not even close. Like this is the worst team in NFL history. And that is my pick at number five. Taylor, that puts you back on the clock for number six. Back on the clock.
1: Okay. So, <sighs> you know, these. some of these stories are a little bit more depressing than others. And I think it's because when I make these types of picks, I tend to look for the shitty parts of, of football games. Like, I, sure. none of these are like, this guy threw for a million yards or whatever. You know, I'm always no, looking for like, who was the worst to ever play?
0: Yeah. And I also went negative. This is a very negative draft. It is a very negative draft.
1: So uh, one thing that since you just brought up the 2008 lions, which were uh, winless, I'm going to go ahead and pick them as a narrative that I'm going to be telling about points per play. Okay. Ooh,
0: points per play. Okay. Points Sexy. per play. So this yeah. is
1: as simple as it sounds. How many points do you score and how many points do you give up per play? Okay. Yep. So first we'll start with um, what I'll say is the the good ends of this. So there are four ends of this. You can do the most and the least given up and the most and the least you score. Sure. And so the least points given up per play are like all the good ones, all the hits you've got, you know, the 85 bears at 0. 0.180 points per play. So that was 18%. Uh, you've got, there were, essentially 30 teams that checked in with under 0.2 points per play on defense. They were amazing. And then the other end of that, since I'm looking at the shitty end of it is most points given up per play on defense. Sure. Okay. And so the forties check in because they are the only decade in NFL history from 1940 to 1949 where defenses were giving up more than one point per play. So they had a total of in the 1940s, a total of 22 times that a team gave up more than one point per play, including the highlight 1947 Baltimore Colts that gave up 1.584 points per defensive play
0: per play,
1: per play 1.5 points per play, which is, you know, completely unthinkable in today's game. They had 238 plays on defense and gave up 377 points. So it's impossible. It is impossible. And like you said, The game was different in the 40s, so I kind of wanted to back up from the 40s and say, okay, what have things looked like since then, right? So since those 22 teams in the 40s gave up 0.1 or one or more points per play, there have been 51 teams that have given up between 0.5 and one in kind of a better range since the 40s, and... No team, the 72nd team to give up 0.5 points per play or worse, happened in 1972. And then there's only been one team since 1972 that's given up even half of their total defensive plays in points. And that one team was the 2008-0 and 16 Detroit Lions. Oh,
0: no. They gave up
1: 0.512 points per play. They had 1,009 defensive plays and gave up 517 points, which is the third most of all time. So they were on that end of the spectrum where they're, where it's the shittiest defense as far as on a per play basis on points per game or points per play. And, and worst are in modern history, worst defensive modern history. And it's really not even that close. And so then the other end of the spectrum is obviously points scored per play, right? Yeah. So the 2018 chiefs check-in tied with the 2011 green Bay Packers as the most points per play in NFL history over a season. They both scored 0.567 points per play. the Chiefs had 996 plays and 565 points. The Packers had 988 plays, 560 points. Both very, very excellent. Best offenses of all time. Cool stuff, because we were obviously big fans of the 2018 Chiefs. But the other end of the spectrum, my friend, it's quite sad. Uh, So the other end of the spectrum is... One fifth of your points per play, so point oh, two no. or worse, and that has happened thirty times in NFL history between 1970 and 2011. It never happened before 1970 that teams scored. So, so the plays were increasing in the 70s, but the point scoring wasn't going with it. So they they didn't even run enough plays. It was going to get the wrong direction. Low. It was going the wrong direction. It was. So the worst offender of this bunch ever. Is the 1977 Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Now you know the 1976 Tampa Bay Buccaneers went 0 and 14. But what you yes, might—yes,
0: my God—the 1970s Buccaneers were uh, I uh, mean... just awful. They—they they have the NFL record for most consecutive losses
1: at 26, Jesus. which is just stupid. But the 77 Bucks were—they um, were a tale all their own, and they scored. They ran 834 plays on offense and scored 103 points no for 0. 0.124 points per play which uh, is I, I i don't even know how it's like literally possible to score that few of points because they're not even kicking field goals they're not even i mean they're just
0: never ever ever 0. ever, ever. to points per play yes correct so so if you had a 10 play drive <laughs> yeah. which for most teams would usually <laughs> result in a touchdown for the the 1977 buccaneers that's like getting 1.2
1: points it's like
0: you'd have three 10 play drives to get one field goal
1: yes yes 30 plays per field goal yeah that's that's a great way of putting it
0: 30 plays per field goal yes that's i mean that's astounding
1: it is impossible it feels impossible doesn't it it's just absolutely their god their points scored that year so so they actually had 3 games where they scored over 10 points. They had a 33 Oh, point,
0: over 10. Wow. Yes.
1: Yes, they had a 33-point victory over the Saints, a 23-point loss, a 7 or where they scored 23. They scored 17, they scored 10. And then their other 14 or their other 10 games were 7-7-3-3 seven, seven, three, three, and an NFL record 6 shutouts.
0: Oh. <laughs> they were shut out 6 times. Uh so, that is that is horrible.
1: So that's the Tampa Bay Bucks. That's my story there. At that draft pick was points per play, most yeah. and least. Sure, and uh, they're all pretty berserk. But that one, that one really takes the cake for me there. Well, that and was crazy. That was. I Can't crazy. wait to see what you got <laughs> next. So next on the pipe is a game that I wasn't aware existed until I started digging through uh, the box scores. I'm like, where this is going? And this is a 24 to six game in 2002 between oh, Houston, Texas and the Pittsburgh Steelers. was this uh, on the list? It was next on draft? my board. Yeah. Uh. Well it's going. And so this game, as you know, but as I will inform our dear listeners uh. was absolute insanity. Yes. So, so remember I started off by saying the Texans won this game 24 to six, but yes. now I'm going to tell you the box score. I'm going to go okay. through it. Uh, right. So first downs in this game, Houston winning team three, Three. Pittsburgh losing team 24
0: 24 first downs for a to team three. that lost 24 to six yes so rushing yards gotcha
1: houston 37 pittsburgh 128 passing yards sure passing yards houston 33 <sighs> pittsburgh 326 no come on yes uh they were both sacked four and six times Net passing yards for Houston after the 23 yards they lost in sacks was 10 for Pittsburgh. It was 294 total yards for Houston. The team that won by 18 total yards, 47 for Houston, 422 for Pittsburgh. They Uh, Houston lost a fumble. Pittsburgh lost three fumbles. Uh, But the key is, uh, is Pittsburgh also threw two interceptions. Houston did not throw one Uh, penalties. Houston, had one Pittsburgh had eight third down conversions. How about this one? Houston, one of 12 Pittsburgh, eight of 23, fourth down conversions. Houston didn't attempt one Pittsburgh converted three of them time of possession, Houston, 20 minutes, Pittsburgh, 40 minutes. So the key to everything, David Carr, brother of Derek Carr, obviously who has been a off target of this show completed three of 10 passes for 33 yards, all three passes going to tight end Billy Miller.
0: Sure. Billy Miller.
1: and Tommy Maddox and the Pittsburgh Steelers threw for 325 yards, but what they couldn't stop doing was turning the damn ball over. The Texans had a 40 yard fumble return in the first quarter. They had a 70 yard pick six in the second quarter. They had a 65 yard pick six by the same guy who did the last one in the fourth quarter. So they had three defensive touchdowns. They also managed a field goal after Pittsburgh turned the ball over deep in their own territory and they couldn't manage a first down. So the Texans, despite, literally getting i mean 47 yards is one of the worst offensive performances in a game in modern NFL history yeah, certainly
0: it's almost impossible
1: and they beat them 24 to 6
0: yeah i i also researched this game and so to add as one might expect this is the only game in NFL history where one team had over <laughs> 400 yards of total offense and their opponent had less than 50 yards and they lost the game it's of course. never ever happened in NFL history except for this one time it's also the only time in NFL history that one team had 24 or more first downs and the other team had 3 or <laughs> fewer first downs and the team with 24 first downs lost the game it's mm. never happened it's the only mm. time it's ever happened in NFL history mm. this was a this was a i mean sometimes you you see these games you experience these games and you just think this 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 is impossible yep we look at these numbers this cannot have happened, but that's football. That's football.
1: Here's the Texans drive chart. Seven plays punt, three plays punt, three plays punt, three plays punt, three plays punt, five plays punt. They got two first downs, three plays punt, three plays punt, three plays punt, four plays, five or negative five yards field goal. So they had, and that's almost unbelievable. They had eight three and
0: outs. That's, I mean. What can you say? I, that's crazy. It's it's been said. Well, that was a doozy of a pick. It <laughs> would have been it would have been my next pick if it had made it to number eight. What a game! What a story! But that does leave me with a couple of juicy options here, and I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with another player, not quite as colorful as Joe Cap, but this is George Blanda, and George Blanda is a Hall of Famer. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with his exploits. He played until he was 48. He was both a quarterback and a place kicker. So he is the oldest player to play in NFL history. Uh, He's in the Hall of Fame. But I want to talk about one season of George Blanda's in particular, and that is his season for the 1962 Houston Oilers. The reason I want to talk about it is because George Blanda in 1962 passed the ball 418 times and he threw 42 interceptions. No. Yes. 42 interceptions in 418 pass attempts is a 10.0 interception percentage. (laughs) This is the only season in NFL or AFL history where a quarterback with a minimum of 300 attempts passing has an interception percentage in double digits. The second worst player in the league that year. Okay, he threw 42 interceptions. Yeah. Second most had 25. So he threw 17 more picks than the guy in second place. Now, I will say the guy in third place, San Diego's John Hadle, yeah, had 24 in just 260 pass attempts. Former Kansas Jayhawk. Yeah, he racked up a 9.2 interception percentage, John Hadle did, which is is in the top ten for the the worst interception percentage in NFL history, but the second highest interception season in NFL history is Vinny Testaverde's thirty-five in nineteen eighty-eight. So <laughs> George <laughs> no Blanda threw seven more picks in nineteen sixty-two than any other quarterback in any other year in NFL history. And listen, this was the AFL's third season. Football was was real crude you know, it it was a little bit different from the forties, you know, at least they, they had the rules down, but they didn't have the players. I mean, this
1: (laughs) (laughs) this is a startup
0: league. Uh, This, this was a a league where, you know, uh, where Len Dawson and the, the Houston or the Dallas Texans and then the Kansas city chiefs were dominating this league uh, in various form and fashion. Len Dawson was like the best passer in AFL history essentially. But, uh, but yeah, uh, Frank Trupica, in uh, 1960 for the Denver Broncos, their inaugural season, threw 34 interceptions. Al Doro for the New York Titans in 1961, before they became the Jets, he threw 30 in a season. John Hadle, the aforementioned, he hit 32 in 1968, but nobody ever even came close to throwing 42 interceptions in a season. I mean, nobody's even come within five of hitting 40, and he threw 42. (laughs) There's only 12 players ever in NFL history that have ever thrown 30 in a season. Most recently, of course, was James, James Winston, mm-hmm. but George Blanda 10% of his passes were intercepted in 1962 for the Houston Oilers, 42 interceptions in 418 attempts. That is, it's crazy. It's crazy I see
1: that he also dropped another 30 bomb in 65 to become the only player to throw 30 twice.
0: That is correct. He certainly did. And boy, he, he had a, he had a wild, crazy career and he played until he was 48 and he kept passing into his forties. <laughs> I'm not sure why they did this. I, it's hard because we don't have the the breakdowns, you know, the play by play, the box scores from these games. Yeah. But I've noticed, you know, he was continuing to pass the ball deep into his forties when he was no longer the starting quarterback and he continued to turn the ball over deep into his forties while passing the ball. He actually had a playoff performance, which I need to pull up here really quickly, where he came into a game in 1969, okay? When he was 42 years old, Houston was, or excuse me, Oakland was playing Houston in the AFL playoffs. And in this game, the Raiders starting quarterback, who was Daryl LaMonica, threw six touchdowns. On 17 pass attempts, by the way. Yeah, 6 of 17 <laughs> for touchdowns. That is the highest touchdown percentage in a single game in NFL history. Of course. George Blanda then came into this game, I assume in relief. Yeah. And threw five passes, and two of them were picked off.
2: <laughs>
0: so just to just put a coda on George Blanda, 42-year-old George Blanda came in. He also kicked all the extra points in this game. But 42-year-old George Blanda came in and went one for five for 33 yards with two picks, which also means that the Raiders composite passing numbers in these games or in this game, just to to leave you with this. They threw 22 passes and six of them were touchdowns and three of them were picks. So like half of their, half of their passes in this game were either (laughs) touchdowns or interceptions. Uh, That is my pick at number eight, George Blanda. Uh, we could go for days with all the crazy stuff that he did, but nothing crazier than throwing 42 picks. There's nothing crazier than that. Except, I don't know, number nine here. I feel (laughs) like this is a great value pick for me. Yeah, Dan Marino. Okay, when I say Dan Marino, there's a lot of ways. Yeah, there's a lot of ways you could go with this. You think touchdowns. You think 48 touchdowns in 1984, which of course at the time was an NFL record. He was a rookie by by a landslide. landslide. It was a a record by landslide. I believe the previous record, without 31? looking it up, I think it was thirty. I think it was thirty. Yeah, I think it was thirty. It was in the thirties. Yeah, it was I, low thirties, and he threw forty eight. Yeah, yeah, he crushed the record. I mean, this was Babe Ruth coming in and out of yep. yep. an entire league. That's right. But that's not the stat I'm going with. Okay. Because Dan Marino has a more amazing statistical quirk than his 1984 touchdown season, and that is. A streak that he put together Mm. in 1988 and 1989. Yeah. Okay. Beginning on September 25th of 1988 and extending to October 29th, 1989. 19 straight games. Dan Marino was never sacked. No. Yes.
1: I mean, I know the streak, but it still doesn't make sense.
0: He He threw 759 straight passes without being sacked. To give you an idea of how many passes that is, your your pass attempt leader in most seasons in the modern NFL is going to be around 600, 650. Yep. So Dan Marino essentially went – I mean, he did. This was 19 yeah. games. He went more than a full season without being sacked a single time. Okay? 759 straight pass attempts without being sacked – He played 17 seasons in the NFL and he led the NFL in lowest sack percentage 10 times. Yeah. In 17 seasons.
1: Yeah. This was not some hall of fame offensive line that was protecting him. He was not back there with all the time in the world. This was a skill of his that anyone who scouted him or talks about Dan Marino's playing time will tell you that he knew where every single person was and he never let him surprise him. Just never let it happen.
0: Super quick release. Just an unbelievable player. 17 seasons led the NFL in lowest sack percentage, 10 times, including each of his first seven seasons in the league. God. You think rookie yeah. quarterbacks yeah. come in, they got don't know what the they're ropes. doing. They got to learn the ropes. They, they get mm. sacked because they don't know where guys are coming from. They don't mm. know how to set protections. Not Dan Marino, his first seven seasons in the league. He led the league in lowest sack percentage His first seven seasons. <laughs> there are five seasons in NFL history where a quarterback passed more than 500 times. So more than 500 dropbacks and had a sack percentage under 2%. So under 2% of their dropbacks, Uh they were sacked. Dan Marino has two of them, which are, of course, in 1988 and
1: 1989.
0: Yeah. The other three, by the way, are hilarious. You'll never guess two of them. One of them is Peyton Manning, which completely makes sense. Of course, Peyton Manning, much in the similar vein to Dan Marino, very quick, efficient passer, who was very smart, knew where everybody was, knew where he was going to go with the ball. The other two were 2008 Jay Cutler. Okay. Broncos Jay Cutler uh, had over 500 pass attempts and a sack percentage under 2%. Hmm. And 2003 Joey Harrington. Wow. For the the Detroit Lions. Unbelievable. Had one of the five lowest sack percentages of all time.
1: Trivia. What do Jay Cutler and
0: Joey Harrington have in common? That's it. There you go. You got the answer. They have another thing in common. Oh, they have another thing in common. I, I don't know. They
1: both played for the same team. Do you know which team? They also played for the same team that Dan Marino played for.
0: Oh, uh, they—they the, are all
1: former Dolphins.
0: Sure, they're all former Dolphins. Well, maybe that's what it is. Paid Manning not a former Dolphin. No, everybody else on the list, true. a former Dolphin. Maybe it's maybe it's the Florida Heat that prevents <laughs> pass rushers. Maybe they get tired out. They can't get to the quarterback. I don't know what it is. Jay Cutler did it in Denver though, and Joey Harrington did yeah, it in Detroit. In Detroit, that's right. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. In 1988, Dan Marino's sack percentage was one percent. <laughs> On six hundred six pass attempts, he was sacked six times. Man, so six sacks on six hundred twelve dropbacks. Wonder and what happened on those the six beginning. plays. Yeah, and they were all at the beginning of the season because from September twenty fifth on, he was never sacked again. That that's year. right, because he started the streak. Yeah,
1: he was a machine. That's unbelievable. That is that record will never even come close to being touched. No, I mean that's that's more untouchable than DiMaggio. Like that's it is. as that's and as untouchable as it
0: gets. It is. And when you consider the fact that, I mean, even with NFL offenses evolving to be so quick strike, you know, short passing game, get the ball out quickly, et cetera, I will never see his like again, Dan Marino, the master of avoiding the sack. And that leaves you, Taylor, (laughs) with pick number 10 to close this out. Oh,
1: Austin. All right. So, you know that we love making fun of our idiot AFC West rivals. Oh, okay? yes. And all of the idiocy that they've ever done. So I'm getting a twofer here. OK, oh, hell yes. So I'm talking about a little old game in 1998. And this is a game between John Gruden's Oakland Raiders and Kevin Gilbride's San Diego. Chargers. Oh, I love it. So I'm going to go through the box score before I tell you the final score just to give you an idea of how these teams were performing in this game. Okay. Okay. Because sure. let me tell you, there is a winner of this game, but there are no winners. Okay. So rush rush yards was, was one-sided in favor of San Diego it was 117 for San Diego and only 18 for Oakland. Okay. Bad start for the Raiders there. Sure. Uh, passing yards, the, chargers were 10 of 24 for 97 yards and the raiders were 13 of 42 but for 169 yards so they hit, Ooh, they hit some 13, long ones 42 but 13 of 42 ain't great that's a lot of incompletions mm, no, that's... sacks uh san diego got sacked three times oakland got sacked five times so their net passing yards san diego 78 oakland 141 not a lot of passing this game total yards both under 200 san diego 195 oakland yeah, 159 awful. terrible game terrible awful no good game turnovers San Diego through four picks and Oakland through one pick. So classic Chargers. If they're in a close game, you can guarantee that they're turning the ball over. Doesn't
0: matter who the quarterback is. No. Doesn't matter who the coach it's is. It's in their DNA. Yep. If the names on the jersey. They're they're blowing it at the end.
1: So here's a here's what makes this game unbelievable. Third down conversions. Okay. The Chargers were five of nineteen on third down, That's and the Raiders good. were two of nineteen. So the teams combined to go 7 of 38 on third downs.
0: Oh, that's impossible.
1: So with all that being said, the Chargers punted the ball 11 times. Now, for reference, the Chiefs' franchise record for number of punts is 11. So they punted uh, more times this game, 11, as any Chiefs game in in Chiefs history. Now, you'd think that would be bad, right? It is bad. The Charger punter actually punted five fewer times than the Raiders punter in this game. What? So the Raiders punted 16 times. No. Which is an NFL record for a, for a game. And then second one, only one team ever punted 15 times. So the Raiders set that by a mile. Let me let me give you these Raiders drive charts because obviously you know where this is going. But it's 16 punts in a game? 16 punts in a game. Okay, so here's was the. Is this a regulation game? This was a regulation game that ended in the fourth quarter. Oh my God. Here's the Raiders' drives. <laughs> punt through pick. Punt, punt, punt. Punt, punt, punt. Punt, punt, punt. Punt, <laughs> punt, pun, 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 punt. Punt, punt, punt. Touchdown, end of game. So the Chargers, despite forcing 16 punts. Oh no lost this game seven to six (laughs) of course they did (laughs) here are the chargers drives while the raiders were punting punt pick punt punt kicked a field goal took a three nothing lead fun stuff punt 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 pick punt punt pick punt (laughs) pick kicked a field goal to take a six nothing lead oh my god punt raiders score a touchdown end of game How much time was left
0: on the clock when the Raiders scored?
1: Yes, I do. When the Raiders scored, there was a minute 53 left. Or sorry, there was a minute 28 left when the Chargers took the ball over and they gave the ball up on downs. And then it was the end of the game. Wow. So the Chargers, despite the forcing the most punts in NFL history and holding the Raiders to seven points,
0: lost the game. My goodness, that is the most Chargers story I have ever heard. Of all time. And there are so many stories of the Chargers charging. Well, Taylor, that's going to do it for our draft. We hope you enjoyed this magical, mystical journey into the strange world of NFL football. We certainly did. We will see you guys next week for our live draft segment.
1: Oh, shit. Are we still recording? Oh, I guess oh, we are.
0: OK, huh?
1: Well, let's go ahead and uh, let's give the listeners a little bonus segment. Well, a little, sure. f- little fun time here. Uh, we've got some honorable mentions from the draft that we didn't go over. And so one of them, one of them that I had was this guy, Jim Hardy, through eight picks in one
0: game. That's, that's the NFL record. That's crazy. Eight, eight interceptions, in one game. I, I That's wild.
1: Uh, another one that we had, this guy, Paul Krauss. I hadn't heard of him, but I guess he's a Hall of Famer. Not that surprising. But uh, he had eighty-one career interceptions on defense. He had twelve in his rookie year in only nine games, and the Ooh. season record is thirteen in sixteen games.
0: Oh my goodness. So
1: he started off with twelve and ended with eighty one. Second is Ed Reed at seventy-three. So he's eight in front of anyone else in NFL history.
0: That is crazy.
1: the 1981 baltimore colts allowed 533 points which is the nfl record for points allowed in a season and they didn't score very many they also have the record for worst point differential in the nfl so uh sucked to be a colt in 1981 This is a really good one. Jerry Rice played 10 more seasons after he broke the record for most touchdowns in an NFL career in 1994. He set the the record and then was like, I'm going to play for a decade more. It's just wild.
0: Yeah. Jerry Rice also has the record for most receiving yards after the age of 40. Uh And he is, in fact, I believe has... Something like 1,400 receiving yards after the age of 40. And right. there are only two other players that have receptions after the age of 40. Brett Favre and Tom Brady. That's correct. And they combined for, I believe, two yards.
1: Yeah, that's right. Tom's or Brett's was negative. One of them was negative. I think Brett's was negative two, and Tom's was six. So
0: Something Jerry like Rice, 1,400 yards. Brett Favre and Tom Brady, two yards. And no those else. are the only people that have caught a football after the age of 40.
1: How about this? The Eagles are eleven and zero against the Jets all time. <laughs> the Jets have never beaten the Eagles. They've both been around forever. Also, if you're listening right now, just DM me for a free shirt. Just just slide in there. Say I was listening to the Easter eggs and I want a shirt. Um, I don't know how many we have left over. We do. We are still trying to give them away on the on the DMs from the um, contest. But I want to give away more shirts. So just DM me. I can't promise it, but we're gonna try to. Mm-hmm. and then finally the 2010 chargers had the number 1 offense and the number 1 defense in the NFL which i think has only happened like like a handful like two or three times ever maybe the only time ever i mean not very often and they went 9 and 7 and missed the playoffs
0: charging